Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Personalization Outbreak Podcast, your go-to podcast for meaningful conversations with influential leaders from different sectors every week. Now, our guest today comes from the healthcare sector and is a big supporter of the Age of Personalization movement. Katie Duran is the Chief Human Resources Officer at City of Hope, a NCI-designated comprehensive cancer center and founding member of the National Comprehensive Cancer Network. Now, I'm thrilled to announce that City of Hope will be our premier sponsor for the 2021 Leadership in the Age of Personalization Summit. Hosted by Lightspeed VT, this summit will be a hybrid event with both in-person guests and speakers in Vegas and a live streaming audience. In fact, the day will be divided up into three parts. How do we assess if we're suppressing individuality? How do we interrupt those patterns? And finally, how to pivot towards a leadership model that restores dignity and activates individual capacity. So to make sure that you have an opportunity to join us on October 21st, please go to the website 2021summit.ageofpersonalization.com to learn much more about the summit and speakers. Now, during this podcast interview, Katie and I will talk about how the events of 2020 have transformed the way employers should support their employees and why a hybrid environment is really here to stay. We'll also talk about how to go beyond traditional retention and engagement metrics to measure real inclusion and human capital growth. So before we get started, hit the like button below, share it with your colleagues, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and social media at Glenn Yopi so that you can stay in touch with our most recent content about leadership in the age of personalization. Let's get started. You are listening to Personalization Outbreak, a podcast about the collapse of traditional corporate standards in today's more personalized world. I'm Glenn Yopis. I'm a leadership strategist, author, contributor to Forbes, and founder of the Leadership in the Age of Personalization movement. On this show, I'm interviewing executives across multiple sectors to find out how the balance between standardization and personalization can exist. Welcome to the show, Katie. Glad to have you today. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, thank you, Katie. Well, you know, you always bring this, uh, this, you always shine a light on people uh, around you. And so uh, before we get into the heavy stuff, let's just talk a little bit about Katie. So Katie, why is it that you find your most authentic self when you have transparent and warm conversations with people? I love being with people. I love helping people. Part of what I, I get my energy by being around people. And for me, Glenn, uh, being in HR is actually, uh, it has been a calling, right? Because I, it allows me to help, to strategize, but it's all about the people. So um, I love what I do. <laughs> well, wait, well let, me, let me ask you this question. Didn't you consider a, a career as a physicist? Yes, I did. Actually, I started my career. I studied uh, at the University of Athens, actually, and I studied physics. I arrived here with a plan to get my master's and return back and teach 
um, and started working in HR by accident, right? And uh, didn't think I was going to stay there, but through the power of a mentor, which I actually is something that I want to give back through uh, the same way, through the power of a mentor, the then vice president of human resources at uh, my first organization called me in and we started talking and she literally said, why don't we consider an MBA? And just to be honest, it was a weight was lifted off my shoulders. Oh my gosh, no more physics. <laughs> so <laughs> so, so what, is, what, what do you think physics, physics taught you about people? Oh my gosh, for me, it was the discipline, right? Learning how to solve problems and being very practical. For me, it's that you have, how do you get from point A to point B in the fastest way, is in the easiest way? Was it about people? I'm not sure. But what I did learn and what I think the discipline I bring is that practicality and, and solving problems, not letting problems linger. Because to get to the next level, you have to solve the first uh, problem first, right? So it's that setting the hypothesis, testing it. Also learning how to pivot quickly. That was, you will set the hypothesis. And if the results don't really yield what you're looking for, you need to yield very quickly. And that for me is innate. That's something I do just by being who I am. That's right. Well, that's why you're so strategic, Katie. So, you know, so you mentioned the University of Athens, but why is Athens, Greece, your favorite place in the world? Oh, now you're taking me back to my studies. When you're in college, that's a great time. So <laughs> I've enjoyed being, you know, spending my college years in Athens. I was there for four years. Just the history, just the culture. It was wonderful, but it was also, um, you know, four years that I, I really enjoyed studying, being with friends, uh, just a lot of fun. And part of it, again, is, that being with people and being with people that enjoy life, right? That are happy. So, but you're, but aren't you Greek? Yes, of course. Yes, oh, I am. Of course. I'm a Greek I was Cypriot. waiting for that answer. Oh, God. oh, thank you. Because I am a Greek. I'm a Greek <laughs> Cypriot, right? Um, well, very you, enjoyable time. Yes. Well, well, tell us a little bit about your culture. How do you think your culture, uh, how do you, what, what do you think? Um, have been the influencers of your culture that allows you to do your work differently than you? Well, I think definitely my culture is all about the people. So we're definitely a close knit culture. Uh, some of the influencers uh, were my mother, right? All about the learning. It was, uh, you spend a lot of time with, uh, you know, you know, groups of people, it's all about, well, you um, have adversity, you just rise above that and you move on. So I've learned a lot from that. And I think, you know, it's, uh, you enjoy life. How can I, you know, and for me, it is helping others. How do you help others to come with you on that journey, right? So I've always thought that if I can help others be, experience that same feeling. Well. I think you do that every day, Katie. So let's Thanks. jump right into the talent trends that matter to you and City of Hope. You know, the pandemic, as we all know, has changed what matters to employees uh, as they place more value on their physical, social, financial, and emotional health. 
But Katie, employee expectations of their employers has permanently changed. Why do you believe that employers must activate a comprehensive health and well-being strategy to more effectively drive business recovery as we get out of this pandemic? Well, you know, 2020, uh, the an unprecedented year, as we call it, is really left a lasting mark on the talent world. First of all, in the way we deliver our work, right? Prior to 2020 at City of Hope, we had about 3% of our employees working from home. Today, we have 52% of our employees working from home. So in the last 15 months, we learned that we can be productive. We can do our work. And just think about this. We've always thought that healthcare, cancer care is very geographically bound. We hired from within. We told you, you need to move close to us in any role. It wasn't just the clinical roles. And of course, for the clinical role, you have to do that, right? You're a frontline worker. But what we learned this year is that you can also be very productive from a remote location. So it's open our horizons, the talent. We can hire from different places. We can actually bring more diversity because we don't need you to move right outside to LA, right? If for many of our roles. So that's one. I, I believe that the hybrid environment is here to stay. But you talked about a little bit about the financial, the emotional well-being. 2020 has also been a year that we're all going to be always, rem we'll all re remember, right? Not only because of the pandemic, we had all of the social and racial movements. And I think for me, what we saw was that our employees, needed that mental health support, right? A lot of them, their spouses lost their job. The first thing we made sure at City of Hope was that everyone remained whole. Even if your role was not, we didn't need you in your role for that you know, specific first three months or whatever, when we had the search, we created a labor pool. We said, come on in, we might need you. We might need you to be a runner. We might need you to help our frontline workers. We also made sure what we're discovering is that from a mental health perspective, our employees did not have a robust support. Did we have mental health support? Of course, but was it robust enough to support our employees through everything they went through, right? I think it was not just the burnout, I think part of it, it was the burnout. Part of it, it was the loneliness. People were home alone. And the other part is our frontline workers have said uh, that data shows that 70% of the nurses are feeling the burnout. The same with our physicians. Sure. Working parents had to share a table in the kitchen with their children. So how do we support that? And uh, we truly have discovered that the mental health support we provided. So have you, so have you elevated robust. the amount of support that you provide? We uh, are working on that right now, actually. We're doing an RFP. We're looking at different uh, organizations, but that's front and center for us so that we can provide better support. So how did your role change, Katie? What did you learn about yourself? Be, to be honest, it's I had all of before 2020, I thought I had all of the answers. Whatever question you had for me, I've been in HR for 30 plus years, Glenn. You know my you know my story, but 
uh, in 2020, I didn't have all the answers. I would get calls. I would receive emails from employees asking, how do I do this for my, for my child? How do I do, uh, how do I help my spouse? I'm looking for a mental health professional. The person I've seen doesn't even understand my problems, right? So for me, I had to learn that not only I, I needed to pivot quickly, I had to look for those answers. I had to ask others. It was definitely a year of huge learning. Even, and I believe my colleagues, CHROs, will probably share the, the same things. Of course. It definitely was new. Of course. Well, I think you could say that about any role in an organization. I mean, we exactly. were all learning in many cases just on the fly. But one thing I think that's become constant now is that, you know, in the past, we talk about work-life balance. In the past, we would, uh, we would uh, our relationships with our employees were, uh, let's call it surface level, professional, um, but we didn't, we didn't feel like we had to be responsible for people's personal lives. I think that's all changed. I think we need to be more in touch with what's going on with the individual uh, and the entire individual, not just with their work, but what they're thinking and what they're feeling. What are your thoughts on that? I fully agree, Glenn. I think it's part of it is it's not, we can no longer survive by being at that superficial level of this is your job description. This is what you need to do. And we're going to have to do that, right? Organizations need to deliver. We need to make sure employees know what their deliverables are, but making sure that we know that flexibility, that agility, that that's, that's new, I think, for a lot of us, for many of us, we need to be flexible. For, you know, we recognize starting times. We're no longer going to be 8 a.m. because some of our employees had uh, children at home that had to sign in on, on Zoom, five-year-olds, six-year-olds that needed to help them at 8 a.m. So that flexibility, that agility, the way we look at our future, it will be just through that lens, becoming a lot more flexible. I mean, isn't this an opportunity to truly uh, become boundaryless? In other words, I mean, why do we have to have all these silos if our stories, the things we've learned about ourselves as individuals and what we know to be true now that we've been resilient uh, to get through this, and we're still going through it. But isn't this a time for all of us to really get to know each other as individuals and also to recognize that we can help uh, one another in different ways that maybe we didn't consider in the past? Oh, definitely. And I think this is the time for us to teach all of our leaders to do that, right? A lot of our leaders were very comfortable in those silos, in that box, right, of, but I meet my key performance indicators. I have KPIs. That's what I'm delivering to. If I get too personal, what am I compromising? So how do we teach our leaders to show that empathy, to be flexible about this? It's that fine line, right? Because you still need to deliver. You well, still we're, we're, we're always going to be accountable for results. I think. Uh, that what's important here, and I'd like to get your views on this, Katie, is how do we make sure that we remain agile throughout the organization so people uh, don't always feel like they have to stay in their lane, but yet maybe be a better individual contributor because they feel comfortable uh, maybe getting into someone's space that wasn't allowed in the past. 
that's the new paradigm. That's the new journey, right? That's where, as we prepare for the new hybrid world, we're part of what we're doing is what is that management toolkit? What are the leadership toolkits that we're giving our managers? What are the, uh, the trainings we're going to share with our managers to teach them how to think differently? But that's exactly where we are. Well, and, and again, this goes back to, I mean, in the age of standardization, it was the institution defining how we should all learn, work, and lead, let alone live. Uh, but in the age of personalization, now it's the individual, the, the employees, the patients that are telling us as leaders how we should learn, work, lead, and live. So how do we find that balance? I mean, you talked about that fine line, but these two forces need to coexist. And, you know, if I can give some, some perspective on this, because I like to talk a little bit more about this new hybrid workforce, uh, Katie, is that, you know, if we're in it for incremental gains, um, perhaps we don't have to change so much. But if we're looking for transformative leaps, uh, we've got to do things that we've never done before. And that means that it's not, you know, I hear this term a lot that we need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. I completely disagree with that notion. I actually believe that we need to be uncomfortable until we get it right and then remain uncomfortable to sustain what it is that we're trying to change. What are your thoughts on this, Katie? I, I like what you're saying, Glenn. I think we will be uncomfortable. And I think I see that with as, as we change, as the two, new paradigm is taking over, as the hybrid work environment is taking over. What we're experiencing too is our workforce is changing. The generations, right? More than 50% of my employees today are millennials and Gen Zers. Different, different expectations, different needs. And they will be the ones that will definitely vote with their feet. What I say is if they're not happy with the way we lead them, with what they're learning, with what they're gaining, they will move to the next organization, right? They're a lot more, um, I think, flexible and they're looking for that. So definitely, I agree with you. We have to be as leaders uncomfortable with the new, the new norm until we get it right. And it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult. Yeah. So Scott, what are you picking up from this conversation? Uh, help us package the key points for us. Right. Um I do want to circle back to physics at the end because you got me going on that. I can't wait. Uh -oh. But for right now, I think what I want to point out, Glenn, is um, uh, just some observations that I'm I'm gaining from hearing Katie, or hearing you talk about. Um, essentially, I think in your words, you talked about a few minutes ago keeping or making sure that you kept everybody and you called them the people or the person full or whole, not full, whole, yeah. right? And I I want to I want to bring us back to that point because. Glenn, as we're talking about this um, uh, personalization uh, versus standardization and the right toolkit, right? Like mm. as Katie just mentioned, I want to um, say that I have a lot of faith and trust in Katie's toolkit, but it's not because of her tool, right? And so right here, I just wrote, let's not mistake the tool for the solution or for the fix. Mm. And so my example would be this. Um, what I... When I heard Katie talk about going with the gig economy, she was talking essentially about this big tool, the gig economy. Let's just go gig economy. Let's make things flexible for our employees, right? Somebody that's using that new tool, right, for the institution, 
is going to talk about how this is so great for the employee. But they're not going to actualize it. That's mm. going to be an externality. And what they're going to do is show how they're going to be creating jobs because they're more efficient in terms of running the institution. What Kate has said, right? Kate, you actually said, keep the person whole. Even if we don't have the right, you know, your job isn't working, come in. We're going to find it for you. We don't have any riders right now. Come on in. We'll find something to do. Mm. Right. And I just think that, that what went on there is that we, we're, I think sometimes we mistake the tool for the ethos and the solution. And if we if we focus on tools as opposed to our orientation towards using the tool and what we're trying to fix with that tool, if we if we if we confuse those two things, we're going to get trapped in standardization again, even though we're using cool words that we never thought existed. before. So, Katie, I want to say thank you, because I, I like this thought about it's not the tool, it's the solution. We have to be careful because tools are very shiny. <laughs> Just like technology, right? We think yeah, well, it's a, a solution. Tool. That, those are really good points, actually, Scott. I like that. I like Thank that. You. That's how it came from you. <laughs> well, and, and I think that's how people get, they feel like, but I did the right thing. I followed the tool you gave me. And every, I checked every box you gave me. Where did I go wrong? Right. And I think that's where it's time for us to think differently. How do we put the person in the center? Right. So, so on, so Katie, on that note, and you alluded to it, but let me be more specific. There's five generations in the workplace. And you mentioned, you know, these millennials and Gen Zers, but let's take into account all the generations. You have more diversity of thought at work than ever. How do you, how do you manage all of this and uh, consider it to ensure that you maintain a culture that's trusted because there's a lot of, in particular, millennials and Gen Zs, they're just not buying it. Anymore. They, they, they see a world through a different lens. How do we make sure that we, main, we maintain that level of trust? You know, Glenn, what I was thinking as you were talking was that I don't know that I have all of the solutions, right? Part of what I really, what I, glean from or I learned from is that we might try something and it might not work. So mm -hmm. how do we change that? How do we learn from it? If you see our exit interviews, when we look at our exit interviews, when mm -hmm. we talk about engagement, um, I'm, I'm always looking at that data and learning from that because the truth is, again, the toolkits might be in place. We might be thinking that we've done everything possible. And yet we'll hear from people that will say, that's, I did not have that same experience they talk about um, with my leaders. So how do we pivot? How do we make changes? How do we learn? And I do think we have a very engaged workforce. I think people really like what they do, but I think we can never rest. On, on just today's data. I think what's tomorrow's data going to give us, right? Because you're always learning something new. And by the way, if you're an organization like City of Hope or sitting in, in the Los Angeles area, you're surrounded by peer organizations that I might even call them sometimes competition, right? So <laughs> that, will do, that will do similar and, and a lot of great things. So how do we stay, how do we keep our finger on the pulse 
so that our employees will not respond to that next call. So for me, those are the things that keep me up at night. Those, you know, how do you add more tools from those toolkits, but how do you also get those, your leaders to embrace it in a way that's authentic? And it's in a personalized way, right? That it doesn't become institutional. So on that note, Katie, um, I know you like numbers and you love analyzing the data. How has this change, this, all this change influenced you to go deeper into the data, maybe creating data, new data sets that maybe you didn't consider in the past? Interesting. This year has been a lesson, right? Because it wasn't about the numbers. This year was very much about the people. It was very much about listening to every single person, hearing their story because it was very individual, because it was very different. But I do think the data, the themes, even on the mental health issue, it's like right. looking at the usage of drugs. What are we, what are people using? What are we looking at, right? So the, the data will, at the end of the day, the data will also tell you the story. And, and that's where have you seen, for example, at City of Hope, we grew during 2020. We continued our growth, which for me, We did slow down in a lot of areas, but it's like we still continue to grow. So for me, that was still a success story, right? So what is that they are saying? Um, Definitely. So I'm I'm always, I'm a data person. I'd like you to tell me, why are we going to look at a more robust mental health, um, you know, organization support? Why? Tell me why. What is it that is driving that? That's right. That's yeah. right. So, so on that note, Katie, um, I know, again, we talked a little bit about hybrid, but I know having an inclusive uh, workplace is important to you. How do you measure inclusion? Oh, my goodness. I think this year is also made for inclusion, for diversity to be even more on the forefront. If you're at home and you're on Zoom and you're on Zoom with 70 people, if you're a person that doesn't want to be in the forefront, that's a little bit more shy, and they keep their screen off. How do you include that person? How do you bring them forward? I think for me, inclusion is measured by, um, you know, definitely that engagement, that retention, but it's also something that we really keep an eye on because it's easy to respond to the first person who turns on their Zoom camera and their ready and, and fresh in the morning to talk to you. And you're trying to bring someone else out. And I think every single person has something to offer. How do you bring that strength out? And how do you learn from them? Um, because they could be just your best data people, right? Someone who point out something in the analysis. Um, so for me, inclusion is even more um, an imperative right now. And we, from a measuring perspective, other than what I'm thinking of right now is retention, is engagement data. Those will show us um, something, but I, it's, it's almost bigger than that, right? The U.S. leader know every single person. Well, one of the things that I've looked at recently, Katie, and, and just to kind of to move on from this topic, it's about who do you let in? How do you see those that you let in? You know, who do you let them be? 
what do you let them do and how do you let them do it? I mean, it's become this continuum of we may let them in, but how do you see them when you let them in? And who will you let them be? And how will they feel that they need to be? So, you know, these dynamics are constantly changing, but it always comes back to, do you see me? Do you know me as an individual? And do you allow me to contribute to my fullest capacity? Because if people can feel energized to contribute and feel as if they're part of the mission, and if they can feel as if they're, they're making an impact, um, I think this is what's going to keep people uh, not just engaged, but a part of the organization's future. So on this note, Katie, let's move to reskilling. I know that reskilling is important to you. Why is it so important? And what are you doing at City of Hope? Actually, it's, I'm going back to what Scott brought up, right? Um, it's about how do I keep you whole? If your skills, if we don't need your skills in the new hybrid environment, how will I use, how can I help you get new skills? so that you can move into your role, that you can actually continue to be productive, right? So for reskilling, we've actually done a lot. We have not only kind of professional development opportunities we offer to all staff. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice. Part of it, what we're learning is those soft skills are the ones that are now what we need to just grow and, and focus on for our employees is emotional intelligence. It's understanding thyself, right? Understanding your own self. You talked about who do you let in? It's not just for leaders, it's for leaders and colleagues. How do you understand your biases, right? So it's about leading with your own self, but leading teams. So we have a lot of trainings on that and huge focus on it. And it's really our employees are saying, that they're learning a lot. We also are focusing on leadership development. How do we grow our own top? How do we create that succession deck? We saw 2020 was again, a year where people said, you know what? This might be the year that I'm deciding to retire. Where is that bench strength? Did we create that? In the old, I think, environment, pre-COVID, I guess, let's call it that, pre-2020, um, we didn't see that as an urgency. Post-COVID, there is an urgency in developing that bench strength, that succession debt. And we actually have a number of leadership development programs, Glenn, that we're very proud of. And uh, our participants get to meet with the CEO, get to have the, a conversation with the CEO about their own aspirations. So very much kind of not only giving people the opportunity to understand the organization better, but to also talk a little bit about their own career aspirations. That's so. excellent, Katie. And, you know, this is something that is becoming more and more important is not only giving people the tools, as we've discussed, um, to be successful in the organization, because that's about the organization. Now it's more about the individual. And making sure that we not only know what they're thinking and feeling, but how do we make sure that they are meeting their, their professional goals and their personal goals and that we remain in touch with that individual throughout the continuum of, of their journey within the workplace. So Scott, any uh, closing comments here? Any, what are you seeing yeah. at, uh, at this juncture? Tell us about that physics connection you were uh, 
Yeah, um, and it's back to the tools thing again, and, and uh, it's commenting again upon, um, on Katie, your application of this metaphor and, and how you use it in, in leadership. And I think when you talked about the Zoom and seeing the closed camera versus the person in the room, it reminded me of my classroom the past year where I had some students I could see on camera. I had students that were in the class and it was very hard to engage them all. But I also see what you're and so I relate to that. But I I thought about what was I doing to try to engage them? And the when you talked about engaging employees, um, it, it I'm like, this is total convergence here. Um, I think. We together in different ways in our different spheres have been, we've changed our tools. We're not looking for a new tool because we recognize the tools are inconsequential. They're small, that still will happen. What we actually need is to reconfigure the idea of tool and the tool that we need to teach and that you do teach and that you do cultivate, right? And inspire is actually the questioning and the seeking as opposed to the solutions. And that brings us to physics, because that is where you come from. You come from a testable and a correctable world, right? Science. And I have to tell you, and I'm going to have an anthropology moment here, Glenn, so bear with me. No, let it, let it go, Scott. Okay, here's the deal. Anthropologies, two of the earliest sort of people who helped create our toolkit were actually trained PhDs in physics. And oh. what they did was they brought that physics mentality, that testable and correctable mentality, to the study of the human condition, because prior to them bringing a testable and a correctable approach towards knowledge acquisition, mm -hmm. anthropology was actually a discipline that was created to not just support white supremacy, but literally to promote colonialism in multiple forms, both here in the US and abroad. And it wasn't until, and that was pseudoscience. But when we had these physicists come in and say, okay, that's cool what you're saying, whatever, but let's test it. What's your data? And the more people actually tested this pseudoscience, the more we realized, oh, wait, we have a different thing at our fingertips. So what I'm just saying is I really appreciate how you use the you use a different toolkit and you're getting people away from toolkits that you can touch and you're pushing them towards the toolkits that is in the whole person. I need tools that make whole persons. Right. And those tools include being able to ask questions being able to seek answers, not individually, but collectively, right? And to essentially seek the power of science, which is proof without certainty. Now there's other ways of knowledge that we did in standardization, which was certainty without, there's certainty without proof and there's proof without certainty, right? And you can't have them both. One of them is faith and the other is science. And they answer different questions. And so what I like is that you're able to balance both of those and recognize that in order for us to push forward, to engage people, we can think and be creative and we can rely on external forces. But ultimately, we have to promote a different toolkit, which is how do we ask questions, inclusive questions? How do we seek answers collectively for inclusive uh, responses? But what you said in physics was we're never satisfied with the answer. We like contingent truths because we're searching for a truth for today because that's going to give us a better view to find a bigger view tomorrow and a bigger truth tomorrow. So we're never done. And that's what I like about you and your physics. I love, I love, the, I love the way you described it. That's awesome. <laughs> so Katie, now that, now that uh, Scott just packaged the power of your thinking, 
Any closing comments? Is there a message that you want to send to your fellow CHRO peers? We have so much to do, so much in front of us, but um, we're the right people to do it. So as far as I'm concerned, the redefining human resources, actually, and the way we do our business is very much the imperative as well. So let's think differently because that's the only way to lead our organizations to the next level. So very much that's where I am today. Excellent, Katie. Scott, thank you have one? I'm sorry, uh, Katie, did you want to say something? I'm sorry, Katie? No, I wanted to thank you both for the opportunity to say this. I, <laughs> well, thank well, you course. for saying it because ultimately to wrap up at least what I was trying to say in way too many words is that Katie, you reminded us to do what I did in my classroom and found power. And that is I engaged my students by stopping giving them content. And I asked them to find questions and I helped them find solutions through my discipline. So I threw out my textbook, you threw out your management book. And you know what? That's how we find the whole person. And you know what? This is why the new playbook is all about unleashing our individuality. So with that, like we always close, when you lead in the age of personalization, you will see things that others don't. Do what others won't and keep pushing when prudence says quit. Thank you very much, Katie. You were wonderful. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Personalization Outbreak. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. If you enjoyed the content, visit ageofpersonalization.com to check out our free streaming video series and learn how to get involved in the movement. I'm Glenn Yopis. I wish you a good day. And remember, without strategy, change is merely substitution, not evolution.